next speaker is going to be amazing. I want to introduce her because she is someone whom Stephen and I have had the honor of having a relationship with for, I guess, many years now. Uh, and so many of you who go to the house know Stephen Hill. And... <laughs> And so Jessica is Stephen's sister. And so if you think Stephen is awesome, Jessica is even as awesome. But one thing that I um, just love about Jessica is that I've seen her through the years as she's, you know, been in, uh, going to college, graduating college, you know, coming into the ministry full time. And um, then she has just recently gotten married. But... And so she is somebody whom I've watched live a submitted life, a life that was submitted to the Lord. And she, even though she's gone through some really hard things, she is flourishing. She is planted in the house of God. She's a vital part of her church in Mansfield. They couldn't do it without her. And so she is uh, someone whom is submitted to the Lord, has allowed the Holy Spirit to grow her. I've seen God do healing inside of her. I've seen God raise her to leadership and her handle that leadership well. And so, you know, she came, I guess, several months ago now and helped lead worship for a little bit one Sunday. And I remember I was sitting in the seat on the front row and I looked at Stephen and said, I need to ask her to come to the women's conference. And I had not even planned a women's conference yet. I didn't have anything on the dates. <laughs> I didn't t I had, nobody knew I was having a women's conference. I just knew she was supposed to come and minister to our ladies. So I really believe she's going to be a great encouragement to you. So please give her a big uh, welcome to the house, okay, to Jessica. Ladies, how y'all doing? I'm going to try that again. Y'all, I'm, I'm very, when it comes to like levels, I'm up here. So like, I'm going to ask you again. Ladies, how are y'all doing? I love that. Okay, that's where I need you to be like the whole morning, the whole conference, okay? Um, I am so thrilled and so honored to be here with you ladies. I've been blown away. I came in yesterday and I've gotten the chance to meet several of you and I am in love with this church. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are so blessed to have something like this. And so it gives me so joy, uh, so much joy to be here. Um, I, I really feel like you guys are family, like already. Um, and I know I've came here before, um, and it's kind of funny, like in my culture, I'm talking about African-Americans, we call everybody our family, everybody our sister, our cousin, you know how we be doing. But, uh, but literally, y'all really are family, because like she said, my brother is here, and he's a part of y'all family, that means we family. So hey, sister. <laughs> and I have to say this, like seriously, I, me and my brother, uh, we are so close, and uh, I, if anybody was going to move away, it was going to be me. And I'm still up in Mansfield, and Steve is all the way here. Um, but if my brother could have went anywhere, this is exactly where he was called to be. And I've been with my brother, like, obviously my whole life. I have never seen him grow the way he has grown in this house. And I, I'm telling you this because I'm on the outside of this. I've seen my brother all my life. And when you're in the middle of God's will and you're in a house like this, and it's so funny it's called a house, but when you're in a house like this, 
and I see the transformation in his life in a couple of years, that's when I know something's right happening here. Something right is happening. And so I'm letting you know, maybe you've only come a couple of times and you're like, hey, I, th- I think I want to come. I'm telling you, you need to come. Because if I was anywhere near this area, this is where I would be. Amen? Um, and so I feel like we're family because of that. But also, um, just like Katie was saying, because of Stephen and Katie, wow, what a blessing they are. How many of you are thankful for Stephen and Katie? Oh my gosh, I just love them and I'm so thankful for them. I remember I was talking to someone earlier and telling them how, I've met, how, how we met. I've been asking all of you how you met them because I just think it's so cool and everybody's moving to come here. I'm like, let's go, I'll come to um, But I remember I was in college. I can't even remember what year it was. It was actually the same time I met Devin as well. And uh, me and my brother, most of you know my brother raps, but what you probably don't know is back in the day, I used to rap with him. Like your girl had beats. Y'all don't want me to do it. Y'all don't want me to do it. So, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh-uh. I don't want to do it. <laughs> and so uh, we would go to different youth groups, different conferences, all kind of things. And so we were asked to go to Devin's High School and uh, rap at this conference they were doing. And so usually when we go, we never know many of the speakers that are there. And so we saw on the flyer that this guy named Pastor Steven Sixon was gonna be there. And I remember being like, bro, you know him? He was like, nah, I was like, hmm. Like, (laughs) okay, like whatever. Wasn't expecting anything. And so we get there and they have praise and worship and we rap and stuff. And he gets up there and literally I was like glued in the whole message not only was I crying laughing because he is hilarious right I was crying laughing which I'm always laughing at something but he was so funny but I left so challenged so encouraged and I was just starstruck by the end of it I was like who is this man And um, I remember after we just connected with them and we started following Be The One Ministries and they became uh, such an amazing uh, role model and just um, even someone we can go to for wisdom. And so it's so cool because um, I remember the last time Pastor Stephen came and he preached at our church, um, we went out to breakfast like all of us and I remember him sitting there, he's like, Jessica, you're a young lady and a man is gonna approach you one day and um, he needs to go through a man. And I don't have my father in my life. My mom passed away early uh, when I was in college. So um, he was like, he's going to have to go through a man, and he's going to have to go through me. So whenever God pursues you, tell him he has to call me. And at the time, I wasn't thinking nobody was coming. So I was like, all right, like, whatever. And so little did I know, the Lord brought someone, and he was my first boyfriend. And I remember telling him, I was like, hey, oh, yeah, that's it. So I remember he was like, Jessica, he, he, he told me how he felt, and he was like, I would love to pursue you. I would love to take you out on a date. And I was like, you got to talk to Stephen first. That was the first thing. That's the first thing I said. I didn't even say, yeah. And so he's thinking I'm talking about my brother. And so when he realized I was talking about Stephen Sexton, his eyes got this big. I don't know what they talked about, but all I know is Stephen Sexton sent me some thumbs up emojis. I was like, let's go. <laughs> And I was so thrilled, and we got married. So we've been married three months now, and it's 
it's been awesome. And so anyway, I say all that to say that this is a, um, a divine connection and I'm so thankful for you guys. And I'm so thankful for what the house is doing uh, for the kingdom of God. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, I want to dive in the word um, and I would just love to pray before we get started. If you would, I would love for all of us to stand. I know this is going to seem a little different, but you know, I believe just like in Hebrews 12, it talks about how the word of God is alive and is active, is sharper than a double-edged sword. And so I believe that every time that we dive into the word of God, it is an opportunity for us to be transformed. And it's all the matter of how much are you expecting? How many times do we come into church and, and we just come out of routine and we don't even expect the, the word of God to change us? And in this prayer time, it's not just for me to get my mind straight. It's for all of us to stir up our expectation and to believe that once we open up this word, that it will change our life. And so I encourage you not only for myself to pray, but I encourage you right where you are to stir your spirit, to say, God, I'm not just here out of routine. I woke up on a Saturday morning because I, I refuse to leave the same. I want to be just like you. I want to look like you. And let's leave better than we came. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh, Father, we exalt your name this morning. Father, we are so thrilled that we get the opportunity to, Father, receive from you. So, Father, this morning, Father, we stir up our expectation. We stir up what you're doing in this conference, and we say, Father, have your way. Father, there's things that you can do that no man can do. So we give you permission to do what only you can do. Let the heavens come in this place, Father God. And I thank you right now that when we leave, we will be better. We will be able to look back at this conference and say, my life was changed. Yes. My life was made different because of your word, because of your power, and because of your grace. So right now we exalt you. We praise you. Father, we thank you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, you look good, girl. Now look to that other neighbor, because you just ignored her. Say, you look real good. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I'm excited. So I couldn't have thought of a better name for this conference, Flourish. And today we're going to be diving in the word, going through a journey, talking about um, that word flourish. Um, you know, scripture is so clear that the enemy has always and will always have a goal. And that goal, as scripture states, is to steal, kill and destroy. Yeah. It's very clear. That's always been his motive, and it will always be his motive. And he does that through planting lies in our lives. And it is those lies that puts us in bondage. You know, I believe every time we gather, it is our duty to expose the lies of the enemy, yeah. to, to expose them for what they really are. And this morning, we're going to take a journey exposing one of the biggest lies of the enemy that so many of us believe, and we are unaware that we even believe it. So that lie this morning that we're going to expose, that the enemy plants, is the fact that, that he wants us to believe that salvation is the end goal. That salvation is the end goal. Now, now hear me. Because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Salvation is the goal. It is the goal. We gather for the purpose of people experiencing the gospel for what it is. 
for people realizing and having that, that moment when they realize, wait a minute, Jesus loved me first. That he came down, took the status of a slave, he went to the cross for me. That is the goal. But the enemy, he does this thing where he takes the things that God intended for good and he distorts them. Right? And so where salvation is the goal, he wants to stop the believers and he wants us to think that salvation is the end goal. That the only reason why we're here on earth is just to be saved and then it's over. We checked it off our list. So now we just hold on tight and wait till he comes. He wants us to believe that once we get saved, we go, to, go through this, this high and we're so excited we're on fire. And then after that high is over, we are just here to manage our sin until he comes back. So every day I'm, I'm going through this routine of, of church, this, and I got to watch my sin because I don't want him to come back and I'm in the middle of something. I don't know about y'all, but I grew up, my mom, she was, I grew up in church. My mom was really particular about the movies we watched. She was big on whatever your eyes see, whatever your ears see goes into your spirit. And I remember she, we watched this movie. It was a Christian movie, actually, but it scarred your girl. And uh, it was Left Behind. How many of y'all see Left Behind? <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay. So I remember being young. And I was like, man, this is intense. I'm looking at the movie. And if you've seen Left Behind, you'll know that this movie is about the end times. And when Jesus came back, he came back on an ordinary day. And the way he came back is in the middle of you doing whatever, your body was gone, but your clothes were just there. So you could be driving. And when he came back, their clothes were just sitting in the driver's seat. So there was car accidents. Like the world after he came back was crazy. And I just remember being glued to the TV, just looking like this, the whole movie. And all I was thinking is, as soon as this is over, I'm repenting five times and I'm going to ask for salvation 10 more times because I can't stay here after it's over. I was so scared. I guess the movie worked, but Lord, I was like, I, no kids should watch this movie. It was horrible. But, but some kind of way, the enemy wants us to believe that, that we just are called after we get saved to just sit here, make sure we're perfect until he comes back, that there's nothing more. And, and let me tell you something. The reason why I know that this is a lie, the reason why I know it is not true is because if, that, if salvation was the end goal, after we received salvation, we would go to heaven. You see, God is a God of purpose. He does nothing with mistake. And so I don't think God was in heaven thinking, I did not think this through. <laughs> I put them on there to get saved, but I forgot to bring them back to me. No. He's a God of purpose. Your very existence is proof that there's more after you get saved. Your very existence after you've encountered Jesus is the proof that there is so much more for you. That it's, just, it's even bigger than you yourself. That God has purpose. And what I'm here to let you know this morning is that salvation is not the end, but the beginning. Amen. It is the beginning. And the enemy knows that if he can get us to believe this lie, that he has done his job. Because I believe that the greatest threat to the kingdom of God is not the world, but a stagnant church. It's not the world. He says, I have overcome the world. 
But we are here for his purpose. And if we don't get that, it's the greatest threat to the kingdom of God. Our call is not to just sit here, cross our fingers and hold on tight till he gets here, but to pull back our sleeves and say, God, I'm ready to partner with you. I'm ready to flourish. I'm ready to do what you've called us to do to see your kingdom advanced. And, you know, for some reason, it's so easy to see other people and say, well, he can use Pastor Katie because Pastor Katie is anointed. He can use Kelsey because Kelsey, man, she got a voice, but he can't use me. I'm just I'm just saved. Oh, no. It is, it, God has a purpose for every single believer. Every single person in here, you have a purpose. God has something for you to do for his kingdom. For his kingdom. And there's so many daughters, there's so many believers in general that have just settled with this idea that I'm just here. I'm just here. And some of us have just assumed that this encounter with God, my salvation was the plateau of my life, but really that's just the foundation. And he wants to build so much more. After you get saved, there's so much more with him. So much more. And I believe some of you in this room this morning need to hold on tight to the fact that God wants to use you. Not for your advantage, not for you, but for the advancement of his kingdom. You know, I was thinking about um, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Most of us are probably aware of that prayer. You know, our Father, which are in heaven, that prayer. And uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of context of it. Um, in Luke 11, um, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. It says, When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, stop right there. I, every time I read this, I just get, like, just, just kind of, like, blown away that the disciple went to Jesus. And of all the questions he could ask, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because it's important to realize that, that these disciples are the same disciples that saw Jesus raise the dead to life. Okay, these are the same disciples that saw Jesus turn water into wine. These are the same disciples that saw him feed 5,000 people with, what, five loaves of bread, two fish. They've seen so many miracles. And of all the questions they could have asked, they asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I began to think to myself, man, these guys are really holy. Because if I could ask Jesus anything, I'd be like, Lord, teach me how to multiply Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I mean, come on now. Like, I love to eat. How many of y'all love to eat? Amen, oh my gosh. Food is my love language, y'all. I mean, it, I would have even been like, Lord, teach me how to raise the dead to life. Like, I would have everybody come to church. Bring them. Just bring them. I can do it. Lord, they could have asked him anything. But of all the things they asked him, as a Lord teach us how to pray. And what that told me is that even though these disciples saw these miracles, they knew that these miracles were only happening because there was a source behind that miracle and that source was found in prayer. And anything that is anything, any miracle, any breakthrough that happened, it only happens through prayer. And they knew it. They saw it. You remember reading all the way, all through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus would always go away to his quiet place. And he prayed. His source of power came through prayer. So as we continue to read, when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know the rest. 
Um, but I want to point out right here where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've, known, I've heard this prayer all my life. I can recite it in my sleep. But one day I was just reading through the Gospels and it just stood out to me. Your, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, it's so easy to, to, to think, all right, God has a will on earth because obviously there's no, I mean, on, on heaven, there's no sin in heaven. Whatever he wants to happen, happens. But it dawned on me, Jesus really, God really does have a will on earth. And when we say this prayer, he's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just as things are going your way in heaven, when you say this prayer, you're saying, God, I want things to go your way here on earth. And it goes even further to the, than that, because anytime God wants his heavenly will to happen here, he sends something down from heaven to earth. Let me give you an example. You think about the law before Jesus came. You know, it was God's will that the law be fulfilled, that we would have open access to Jesus, right? And so what did he do? He sent Jesus from heaven down to earth to fulfill that. And through Jesus' sacrifice, we now have open access to, to God, to Jesus. So when he wanted his heavenly will to be manifested on earth, he sent something from heaven. In the same way, and just follow me with this, in the same way, now Jesus is in the throne with God, sitting on his right side, and I begin to wonder, God, how now do you fulfill your heavenly will on earth? And I realized it was through us. It's through us. God's will on earth is manifested through his believers. And, and remember I said anytime he wants something from heaven, his heavenly will to be manifested on earth, he sent something down from heaven. And scripture tells us that he sent the Holy Spirit down. In John 16, 7, it says, but verily, very truly I tell you, it is your good that I'm going away. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is before he went to the cross, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, listen, it is for your good that I go to heaven. I would be confused. I'm like, Jesus, like, you're amazing. You're, you, you've done all these miracles. It's not good for you to go away. We need you. But he goes, listen, I'm telling you, it's for your good. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the advocate? The Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. He goes as far as saying, it is to your advantage. That I go away for if I go away, the helper will not. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Yeah. I will send him. So what he's saying is now I want my will to happen on earth just as it, as it is in heaven. So I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit partners with you, my will on heaven is going to happen on earth. That shows you you have a purpose. That you have a purpose. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. And when you partner with him, you can get some things done. Talk about heaven on earth. It's us. We are the manifestation of heaven happening. And I'm going to let you know something. The church will never flourish. The kingdom will never flourish. And we will never flourish until we truly believe that we're going to be what God uses to manifest his will on this earth. Some of us are, are doubting. Some of us have fears. Some of us have insecurities. And that's stopping us from the kingdom of God being advanced. It's not about us. It's about heaven's will happening. Amen. So, so now, 
I believe, I love this, in John 14, 12, it says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. But I love that, it says, even greater works will my people do. Why don't we see greater? Because we don't believe that we're the people he's gonna use. It says, very truly, whoever believes in me will do works greater. If you wanna see God's kingdom looking greater, we gotta believe that he's wanting to use us and be willing to step out. So I'm gonna give you guys three things to ask yourself if you're not flourishing. Maybe you heard that and, and, and you're like, I can totally agree, I've been there. Where I'm like, you know what, God, he wants to use me? Like, what? Like, no, I'm just, I'm just this, I'm just that. If you, don't, if you look at your life, your relationship with the Lord, and, and you can honestly say, man, I, I don't think I'm flourishing. These are three things you need to ask yourself. Number one, is what's in your hand. What is in your hand? I want to take you guys to the story of Moses. I love Moses. I love his story. I love his journey. And Moses at this time, he was just given instructions to go back to the land of Egypt, the land that he fled from, and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. The people that were in slavery. You got to understand, this wasn't just like this easy task. He wasn't like like a messenger, like, you know, how sometimes if you're a mom, you send your kids to tell somebody, tell the other kids food is ready. It wasn't like that. This was a big deal. He was saying to one of the most powerful regions that, that was only powerful because they had slaves, that many slaves. He was telling him to go into that land and tell him to let his people go. That's absurd. And Moses' response was one of doubt, one of fear, as, as all of us probably would be. I, I would, if I was Moses, anybody has, somebody asked you to do something and, and you don't want to take the test, so you look around like, you talking to her? Like, no, hey, you ain't talking to me, Lord, no. <laughs> I bet Moses was just like that. He had this burning bush experience and he couldn't run away from, the, the bush was burning. He had to face it. God told him, I'm calling you and I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And uh, we can see in scripture, in Exodus 4, 1 through 2, Moses answered, after, he, after God told him this, Moses answered, he says, what if, they, they, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? And how many of that is our response anytime the Lord tells us something? It's excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, Lord, I know you're telling me um, that you want me to start serving on the dream team and be a part, but Lord, what if they don't even, what if I don't fit in with them? I, I don't know if I, if I should start serving. I'm gonna just kind of sit here. Uh, God, I know you're calling me um, to, to reach out to this other lady, but God, she ain't gonna listen to me. She's not gonna do that. Like, uh, that was just me. That wasn't God. Like, he ain't telling me to do it. How many times does every time God calls us to do something, there's an excuse, right? And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he replied, a staff. And I thought it was so cool how the first question that God asked Moses was, what was in your hand? He didn't address his, his excuses. He didn't address his doubt. He didn't address his fear because he wasn't concerned about that. He's like, get that out the way. Some of us need to hear that today. Get those fears out the way. Get those insecurities out the way. I want to ask you, what's in your hand? What do you possess? And the reason why God was asking Moses what is in your hand is because, because he realized that Moses will never walk in an anointing that he didn't acknowledge. Come on. 
And a lot of us will never walk in the grace that God has called us to grace in because we won't acknowledge it. We won't just say, God has gifted me to do this. We keep putting fears in the way, insecurities in the way, doubt in the way. And God is asking you today, what is in your hand? What do you have? And notice what was in his hand was a staff. You know what a staff is, a stick. So I would have been like, Jesus, it's just a stick. <laughs> what else now? <laughs> like, and so many of us, right, are doing the same thing. Like, Jesus, I can just clean real good. I clean real good. That's all I got, but I can do it good. Jesus like, what you want me to do with that? And Jesus, I can organize good, but we don't organize on Sunday morning, so how you going to use me, Jesus? We keep belittling the things. And, and you think, and think about this, though. Moses, at the time, he was a shepherd. So that staff was only good for, uh, for getting cattle and, and taking, herding them and taking them where they needed to go. Moses had no idea, though, that same staff that he used as a shepherd would be the same staff that would turn into a snake and, and show Pharaoh God's real. He had no idea that that same staff that he had was going to split the Red Sea. That, that same staff that he used was going to set the people free. And a lot of things that, that you have that you're just saying, Lord, I just cleaned. God is saying, oh, you don't have any idea. You're going to be able to serve so many people through that gift of cleaning. You have, you have no idea. You think that you just are good at organizing, but you are going to do so much to that gift of organization. He says, stop belittling because you have no idea. Your gift in your hand is probably going to set people free. And until we acknowledge it, we will never work in that grace. God knew what was in Moses' hand, but he wanted Moses to see. He wanted Moses to acknowledge what was in his hand. This morning, he wants you to acknowledge, what do you have? What do you have? Because God wants to use what you have for his kingdom. Stop belittling it. God gave you that on purpose. He gave you that for a reason. So ask yourself, number one, what's in my hand? Number two, the Lord wants to know what's in your heart. What's in your heart? And we just talked about Moses and setting his people free. And we all know that, that they eventually, Pharaoh let them go across the Red Sea, and now they were on journey to the promised land. And when you keep on reading in scripture, you see that on route to the promised land, they got kind of weary, right? Remember, they started getting a little bitter, kind of getting a little angry. They was like, Lord, where to meet it? Where is the meat, Jesus? I'm hungry. Food is the enemy, y'all, I'm telling you. <laughs> and they got so weary to the extent that they even said with their mouth, Lord, take us back to slavery. Who would ever do that? Take us back in slavery? Like after all God did to set them free, they literally said with their mouth, take us back. And you know, so many times we come into church and we do the same thing. The Lord sets us free. And we're like, man, it was easier when I was just doing my own thing. It, it was easier when I wasn't trying to follow the Lord and I wasn't trying to be holy as he's, as he's called me to be. And we just, just take me back. It wasn't too bad. So, so they got to the point, literally, they were out and they said to God, take us back. Take us back. And the reality is they were physically out of Egypt. They were physically, but they were spiritually still in bondage. 
spiritually still in bondage. And so many of us are, are physically not in the environments that we might have used to be in before we, we received Jesus. But spiritually, we are still bound. Do you know it's possible to be saved but broken? Did you know it's possible to be saved but still have unforgiveness in your heart? Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. It's possible to be saved but feel condemned, to feel shame. And I'm going to let you know something this morning, I say this from experience. You will never flourish when you're in bondage. It will hold you back every single time. Mark 5, I love, love, love this scripture, this passage of scripture. Um, It's kind of lengthy, so y'all follow me. Um, It says, they went across the lake in the regions of garrisons. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. You got to understand that impure spirit means demon possessed. All right, so I just got to be honest with y'all. If I'm Jesus, I get out of the boat, anybody with any kind of impure spirit coming towards me, your girl getting back in that boat. <laughs> I can't swim, but I'm, I'm getting in the water. I'm getting away from him. So Jesus is a G. I'm serious because he stayed. <laughs> Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs. No one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. If this man was so possessed, he had so much going on in him that they didn't know what to do with him. They tried to chain him. They tried to do all this stuff. So finally, they just sent him to, to the tombs. They were like, just go where the dead is. We're going to leave him there. We don't know what to do with him. So verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. And what is important to realize is, yes, this man was demon-possessed, but that wasn't who he was. And who he really was was crying out. And so many of us are in things. We may be in depression. And I need you to understand, a lot of people are depressed. They don't, that's not who they are. And they're crying out, I want to be free. I want to be set free. And this is what this man was doing. He didn't want to be this way. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high? In God's name, don't torture me. It's important to realize even the demons believe. That's what scripture says. The demons fell on on his feet in the presence of Jesus. So whatever is in you is not stronger than God. It has to fall down in the name of Jesus. Verse 8, for Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, "What what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And verse 9 really stood out to me. I'm going to read that again. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. The reason why this stood out to me, because there was a change in text. It went from first person to third person. I'll give you an example. If you came up to me and you were like, hey, what is your name and how old are you? I would reply, hey, my name is Jessica and I'm 25 years old. But the way Legion replied was, hey, my name is Legion, for we are many. For we are many. I would have been looking like, who else he talking about? Like, you got somebody else with you? Like, but it was just him. And what happened in this scripture was that in the midst of him talking to Jesus and, and saying, I, I want freedom, my name is Legion, coming to Jesus, what was inside of him interrupted. 
What was inside of him interrupted and it spoke up for him. And what I'm trying to, to communicate to you today is when you don't watch what's in your heart, every time you try to go to Jesus, what is in your heart will interrupt. How many times have we been in the middle of worship and we're like, God, I surrender all. I give you everything. I love you, Jesus. And that condemnation starts speaking. You're not good enough. You won't. God's not going to use you. You're not good for anything. How many times you've been trying to worship the Lord and say, God, I'm ready to flourish. I'm ready to surrender everything. And that bitterness comes up. Oh, but do you remember what such and such did to you? Do you remember how that other church treated you? You don't need to be in church. It's so important that we watch what's in our heart because every time we try to seek the Lord, what is in our heart will try to interrupt. It will try to interrupt just like it did for him. Do not let condemnation speak up for you. Do not let unforgiveness speak up for you. Do not let your past pains and your past hurts speak up for you. Do not let depression speak up for you. Do not let it do it. You stand up. And you say, I'm going to make sure that whatever is in my heart is holy. It is set apart. It is God's will because I will not let it stop me from flourishing. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart for everything flows from it. Everything. Everything. When it says everything, it means everything. That means your marriage flows from what's in your heart. That means your friendships flows from what's in your heart. That means the way you parent flows from what's in your heart. Guard your heart for everything flows from it. What's in your heart? The last question. We talked about what's in your hand. What's in your heart? Number three, what is in your head? What is in your head? You know, I grew up a a tomboy, believe it or not. I don't dress anything like one now. But, um, you know, I was talking to some of you guys out there, and I was telling you how a lot of people think me and my brother are twins. And I think growing up, they thought we was twins because I looked like a little boy. I ain't lying. <laughs> I was struggling, y'all. <laughs> I play sports and I look like a dude. Um, and uh, <laughs> I wish I had a picture, y'all. Next time, I'm going to bring a picture. <laughs> no, he'll pick a bad one. <laughs> like, mine's going to be kind of bad. His going to be really bad. Uh, <laughs> And so being a tomboy, I was like really like, I, I, I was really hesitant about stereotypes against girls because I hated it. I hated when people would be like, girls are so emotional. They're so this and they're so that. And I'm like, no, not all girls are. Talking to my man voice. We got it together. We're good. Like, and I just didn't want to associate with the stereotypes put on girls until I grew up and I was like, we are kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm like, man. <laughs> After three months of marriage, I'm like, I'm emotional, I am crazy, I'm messy, I'm this or that. I'm like, whoa, I'm a girl, I'm really a girl. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing about being a woman is we have to watch what's going on in our head. We have to watch what is going on up there. You see, like, when the enemy sees our mind, it's like a little kid seeing a playground. And think about kids, when, when they see a playground, they don't, they don't just go on the playground and get on one thing and they slide one time and then go home like, I'm done. No, when they see a playground, think about that Chick-fil-A playground they see. Their eyes get big and they just, the adrenaline, as soon as mama says you can go, they go. And they're getting on everything like five times or six times. Let's do it again, let's do it again. They're everywhere, right? 
That's the same way the enemy is with our mind. He sees access to your mind and he doesn't say, oh, I'm just going to do this real quick and then I'll be done. No, it's like a playground. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get on the slide. I'm about to get on the seesaw. I'm about to get on the monkey bars. And he's like, as soon as he, as soon as he has access to your mind, he goes and he starts planning lies. He starts planning things and he's like, I'm going to get them all in their head. So it's so important that we watch what's in our head. You know, I have this friend, uh, she's actually my cousin, uh, her name is Carla, and we all have people like Carla. She's one of those people who exaggerates everybody, everything. Anybody have a friend like that? They exaggerate everything. You're like, that, that don't even sound true. Like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and I have plenty of stories I could tell. But I was thinking about two. The first one, uh, I remember we went to college together and uh, we was just, we was driving on campus. I didn't have a car my first year of college and I would ride with her everywhere. And I just remember uh, we, we passed this guy who was running on the track. And she was like, oh, do you know him? And I was like, no, I don't know who that is. She was like, that's such and such. He on the track team, and he is like the fastest runner ever. I was like, whoa, like that's crazy, like that's cool. So she's like, yes, he can run four miles in two minutes. <laughs> and so I'm running, I'm like, oh, wow. And then down on me, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? So anyway, I, that, that's my history with Carla. I already know whatever she's going to say, it doesn't make sense. One time she told me Priscilla Shaw was going to this town called Stanley. None of y'all have heard this town before. That's how I know Priscilla Shaw ain't going there. I told her over and over, I was like, the lady ain't going. It turned out it was a simulcast service, and you can watch her on video. And she was so like, what? I could have sworn. I was like, Priscilla Shaw isn't coming here. I just don't understand her. So anyway, one time... We were going, she, at this time, it kind of switched. I said she had a car in college. Well, after we graduated, I had the car, and she didn't have a car. So she, we rode together everywhere. So we're in the car, and uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm a horrible driver. And I can already tell Arkansas don't like me because they kept honking their horn at me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm from Louisiana. And so it was horrible. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that, that was mean to me. I was ready to go home. So anyway, I was driving with Carla. And this guy, I'm used to people honking at me because, like I said, of the way I drive. And, and uh, no, they didn't honk. Um, I remember I was driving, and I think they rode past me, and I didn't look over there. But Carla is one of those car steerers. Like, she looks at people when she passes them. I'm like, you're going to creep them out. So she was driving, and she was like, Jessica. I was like, what, Carla? She goes, that girl just flipped you off. And I was like, no, she didn't. And because I get offended with, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's rude. So I was like, I didn't do anything. I'm driving really good. I'm sorry, I'm almost done. Uh, <laughs> I'm driving really good. And I was like, there's no way that she did that. Like they didn't even hunt their own. I mean, like I didn't do anything. She's like, just I'm telling you, this that girl flipped you off. I was like, whatever, Carla. I'm not thinking nothing because she's like the big bad wolf in my eyes. Like I mean, she's like the the crying boy. What do you call him? The boy who cried wolf. I said the big bad wolf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's the boy, she's the boy who cried wolf. I'm like, whatever, Carla. So I'm just driving. She tells, so she goes, Jessica, did you just say that again? And I was like, what? She's like, she just flipped you off again. Like, Carla, stop. Leave that girl alone. She did not. Like, what is wrong with you? So anyway, I keep on driving, and I look over to my left, and the girl is flipping me off. So I did just like you. I was like, oh. Oh, I was like, she did, she did. And Carla was like, I told you, I told you. And I'm in the car like, why did she do that? And we're, we're just screaming. And I'm like, 
that was so mean. I don't know why she did it. I guess it was some kind of joke. But I said that to say, I was in the car, and I was just like, I didn't believe Carla because of how many, she didn't try to lie, but how many exaggerations yeah. she gave me. I wouldn't believe her. And it dawned on me, why is it that I stop trusting my actual friend, but I keep believing the lies of the enemy? After a couple times of Carla exaggerating, I just put her, I just said, you know what, I, Carla, whatever, that ain't true. But why is it the enemy, he lies every time? He says, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that. He says things that are contradictory to the word of God. We see it in the word and we believe him. Why is it? I love this scripture. It's like my life scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments in every petition that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We make it obedient to Christ. So when the, Lord, when, when the enemy gives us lies, we say, no, wait a minute. Here's the word. That doesn't go with that. So I'm kicking it out. That doesn't go with what my word says. I take my thoughts to trial. Some of us in this room, we need to start taking our thoughts to trial. We need to start taking them and say, wait, does this agree with the word? That's simple. You can knock it out right there. Does it agree with the word? The problem is some of us doesn't even know what the word says, so that's why we keep giving it to the lies. We got to be in our word. We have to be, listen, I grew up in church. I didn't realize, I didn't know how to study the word until I got to college. I could quote scripture all day, but I didn't know how to dig in the word for myself till I made it to college. It means 18 years of my life, I was hearing Bible, 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 but it wasn't really getting in me. We gotta study the word, we gotta know the word. It is our sword. You gotta speak life over yourself too. One of the things I do, and I've been doing this since I was in high school, I have little sticky notes. I put on my mirror and I write down the promises of God. I write down what God says about me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. He says I am more than a conqueror, right? He says I, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Nothing will stop my joy because that's my strength. Some of us don't, don't do that. Speak the word of God over your life. It controls what's going on in your head. When you speak it, you'll start believing it. Amen. I promise you. Yes, amen. Philippians 4, 8. I'm going to leave you with this scripture. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or, pra or praiseworthy, think about such things. Talk about taking the trial. You need to ask yourself, God, is this true? That's what I talked about, taking it to the word. Is this noble? Is this right? Is it pure? If it isn't, exit out. It's got to go. It's got to go. So listen, ladies, God's called you to flourish. That's the way the kingdom of God is going to be advanced. And if you're not, you need to ask yourself, what's in my hand? What's in my heart? And what is in my head? Let me pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And Father, we are not just hearers of the word today. But Father, I thank you right now that you are giving us everything that we need to be doers. Yes. Father, I pray that every single lady in here awakens and stirs herself to realize that you have called her to advance the kingdom of God. And Father, whatever way that is, I pray that competition and comparison is out the way. 
that we can see ourselves for the way you see us. And Father, I thank you right now that you're going to use each and every person. Father, I thank you right now that you will give them an awareness of what they possess and that you've given them that on purpose for a purpose, God, and that they are able to acknowledge the gifting and the things that you've given them so that they can walk in that grace, walk in that anointing. Father God, I speak life over everyone's heart. Father, it is not your will that we be in bondage. You went to the cross for our bondage. So, Father, I thank you for freedom in the name of Jesus. Father, freedom from bitterness, freedom from unforgiveness, freedom for, from condemnation, freedom, freedom from every type of bondage that is, that is in this room. It has to leave in the name of Jesus. Yes. It will no longer interrupt us as we serve you, as we flourish, after we, as we go after you. And Father, I just speak your life over every single lady's head. Father, every single thought is yours. Father, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, and, and I believe right now that their thoughts will be pure. Father, every single lie that the enemy has planted will be uprooted today. It will leave in the name of Jesus. Yes. And Father, we're going to leave looking more like you, flourishing, not just surviving, but thriving. Yes. Not just merely here, but Father, on purpose. Yes. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let you let your will manifest through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can y'all give a hand to the Lord? Yeah. Amen.